Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1, if you will. This series is called A Christmas Miracle. It's going to be a four-week series, and we're going to begin today by looking at verses 5 through 25. The beginning of the miracle is the title of the study, of the message today. We're going to celebrate Jesus' birth all the way up until Christmas Day. Like any good story, there is the development of side stories that weave into the excitement of the main plot. In the story of Jesus, there is the side story of a king whose name was Herod shepherds who were in the field, and there is the story of wise men who would gather to make a a trip. There's a story of taxation. There's a story of, uh, of a census, actually. There's a story of innkeepers. There's all kinds of developing stories. In addition to all of those that are developing, There is a story developing between a man named Zacharias and a woman named Elizabeth. This is a wonderful family, and this is a family into which Jesus will be born, not the immediate family, but the extended family. Elizabeth is a relative of Mary who is also going to have a baby, And this, too, will be a miracle that Elizabeth is going to have a baby. You're going to find out why it was a miracle. And this baby, like all babies that are born, had a very special purpose in life. All children have a purpose. All people have a purpose. I believe with all of my heart that we are born with a purpose. I believe that we are born again to find our purpose in life. The story that we're going to share with you today is not the story of the immaculate conception and the birth of Jesus Christ, but a very unlikely conception and the birth of a man named John the Baptist. John, Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. These first few verses tell us something about the people of the miracle. On occasion, we've heard people say things like this. Things like this don't happen to people like me. Or things like this will not, do not happen to people like us. That's a common feeling among a lot of people. We feel like that everybody else has all the luck. We feel like that everybody else catches all the breaks. We feel that everybody else has the the golden touch. And somehow or another, 
we don't have the breaks or the touch that is on someone else. However, reality is that God indeed does bless and he works through people and they are people just like you and me. People who may have had an extraordinary opportunity, but they were ordinary people that God put his hand upon. In this part of the story of the Christmas miracle, there are two principles, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Excuse me, that's the cold. Two things should be observed about these people. First of all, they were righteous people. No surprise here that God would bless and use godly people. That's just not a surprise. They lived lives that were, as we like to say, close and clean. They stayed close to the Lord and they stayed clean before the Lord. They weren't perfect, as we will see, and they, were, uh, they weren't uh, without their flaws. And whatever righteousness they had definitely was attributed to God himself. But these people were right with God. Now, in order to be like this, we do not have to have superpowers. Sometimes we think that we do. <laughs> they, uh, uh, the, the, we do not have to have a need to be born <clears throat> with a, a sin gene missing. I do think that uh, people, people have asked me this question before. They, they've said, <clears throat> don't you think that, that people are, are born into certain kind of sin? And, and you know, we deal with the thing of... of uh, Um, homosexuality and various things like that. And people say, don't you think people are born uh, that way? And and let me tell you this, I absolutely do. I absolutely think that. Just like I absolutely believe that we're all born in sin. All of us are. And we're all born with certain tendencies towards certain sins. There are some people who have very addictive behaviors. They... um, now, everybody can have an addiction, but there's some people who have an, an addictive behavior, and, and there's, there's no such thing as moderation with them. There's no such thing as, as being able to control uh, this area or that area of life. <clears throat> they are born with an addictive uh, spirit, or they're born with an addictive gene, if you will. And we could go on and, and we could list all of this. All of those kinds of things are absolutely true. But the reality is that we're all born in sin. The, the, the Bible teaches us that we are without excuse. And the reason that we are without excuse is because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Jesus Christ died on the cross to redeem us from our sins. So the, the thing of don't you think that people are born this way is while I do believe that they are I also believe that we're all born some way and none of our ways are toward God we have to be born again to have a righteousness within our lives we are born in sin all have sinned and come short of the glory of God there is none righteous no not one so people like Elizabeth and Zechariah were not born with a sin gene missing They had a sin gene. I don't know what their problems were, but they had problems like you and me. They weren't super Bible heroes. None of that is true. These people 
were real people. That's one of the greatest lessons you can learn from reading your Bible, is that you are reading about real people. You're not reading about superhumans. You're not reading about superheroes. They are real people. There's a a hint of of this given in verse 7. They were an old couple, and they had never had any children. Now, there are plenty of couples living their entire life without having children. They were real people. I think that they wanted children. In fact, we'll see a little bit later that indeed they had been praying that they would have a child. But the fact that they never had children is just an emphasis on the fact of how real they are. All of uh, the men and women deal, uh, all of us men and women deal with certain realities. We are real people. There is nothing super about any of us. There is nothing innately godly about any of us. We are all real people, and if we have any righteousness, it is God's righteousness in us. And in the, the terms of the Bible and, and people in the Bible, there's a verse that tells us how real all of our Bible heroes really are. That is James chapter 5 and verse 17. It says concerning Elijah that he was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months, and it did not rain on the earth. So there you have it. People like Zechariah and Elizabeth, people like Mary and Joseph, anybody that you read about in Scripture other than Jesus himself were just like you and me, and in many ways, Jesus was just like you and me. Jesus lived without sin, but he lived a mortal life. He did something that no one else has done, and I don't believe anybody else could do. And the reason that he did it was so that he could die on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin. So the people of the miracle then, at least the miracle of today, are going to be Zacharias and Elizabeth. Now, what about the plan for the miracle? Well, at verse 8 it says, Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Now, this is important, and it's an important part of the story for what I consider to be a very unusual reason. It's an important, important part of the story for the lottery reason. I know that some of you work for the Florida lottery, and uh, there was indeed a lottery that took place that put Zechariah in the position that he was in. The duties for the temple were assigned among Zechariah's tribe. There were 24 divisions of priests, so they only ministered twice a year. Now, I'm not sure how many times, how many were in Zechariah's group, but it was a a large number of people in Zechariah's group. So much so that there had to be a way for them to 
get some sense of equity or balance in the service of the temple. Kind of like to decide which team is going to have the choice as to whether or not they, uh, they get the ball or they kick the ball. A coin is flipped in the middle of the field. And so a, a lottery of sorts was, uh, was made to determine what priest would get to go in and offer incense on the, the altar. So they had a lottery. I don't know how it worked. I don't know if they had, you know, a box full of tokens and one token was a different color than the others or they drew straws or, uh, you know, they played musical chairs. I don't know exactly how they did that. But they had some kind of a lottery going on. And sure enough, for the only time in his life, Zechariah drew the short straw. For the only time in his life, he would be the one going into the temple while the congregation prayed outside during the hour of incense. Now imagine that. How in this world did he have such luck? Is that what it was? Was it good luck? Some people believe in good luck. I don't really believe in good luck. Although, after seeing Auburn play last week, and again yesterday, one of two things is happening. Either they have extraordinary luck, or God is a tiger. I don't know, a war eagle, excuse me. I don't know what it is. It's no secret that the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox hate each other. They'll do anything to jinx the other team. When the Yankees were building a new stadium in 2008, uh, Gino uh, Castanoli, who was a Red Sox fan, was a construction worker on the project. He was a big Red Sox fan. And he decided to do his part for the team by placing a Red Sox jersey, actually a specific jersey of Boston star David Ortiz, in the cement foundation of the new ballpark of Yankee Stadium. Gino's downfall was that he couldn't keep quiet about it. In fact, he told the New York Post, and they reported the story. Stupid, Gino. The Yankees ordered construction workers to dig up the the shirt. And the crewman who worked alongside uh, Castanoli told the workers where they thought the shirt was buried. And after five hours of pounding away through two feet of cement with a jackhammer, they discovered the Red Sox jersey among the gravel, and they displayed the tattered Ortiz 34 shirt for gathered photographers. That's what you're looking at. The cost to remove this bad luck, $30,000. Now the question is, was this just Zechariah's lucky day? Did somehow or another a defender try to catch a ball that he should have batted down and it batted up and he took it and ran it in for the game-winning touchdown? Did somehow or another a long field goal 
falls short and into the hands of someone who would run it back 109 yards. Is that the way that this worked? A lot of people would say that Zechariah was just a lucky duck. They believe in it. After all, this was a lottery. Do we really think that something as important as the birth of John the Baptist included in the miracle story of Jesus was left to the luck of a lottery? Zechariah got the assignment not as a result of good luck, but as a result of God's leading. God made sure that he got the chance that day. Zechariah was there by a divine appointment that day. An important story was developing, and he and his wife Elizabeth were going to be a part of that important story. And to the right of the altar where the incense was being offered, an angel appeared, and God had arranged for that meeting. God had decided, I'm going to put Zechariah in the right place at the right time because I'm going to do something for he and Elizabeth that is vital to the story and the success of Jesus Christ. And we're going to have not one baby, but two. One is going, they're both going to be miraculous. One is going to be unlikely miraculous, and the other is going to be immaculately uh, uh, a miracle. And so here comes the angel with the proclaiming of the miracle. Verse 11, and they appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Now upon seeing the angel, Zechariah, excuse me, Zechariah was really startled. I'm sure that he had spoken to other priests and said, okay, they're going to put me in the game. What should I expect? Tell me all about it. You've been there. You've done it before. What's it like when you get in there? I mean, you know, is it, is it, there's a, is anything glow in there or anything like that? What's it, what's it going to be like? And I doubt very seriously that any of the other priests that had been drawn in previous lotteries, said to him, well, when you get in there, there's going to be a big angel. And that angel is going to be standing at the, the end of the altar. And that angel is going to talk to you. I doubt that. I doubt that any of them, maybe they'd had some angel sightings, but not, not like he was going to see. And so he went in there and uh, unexpectedly and to see an angel And the angel appeared, and the angel offered him really big news. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Now there's the confirmation that he and his wife had always wanted a child. Said, your prayers have been heard. They've been praying that they would, at some point in life, have a child. Now, there's two considerations in this proclamation. First of all, is the boldness of the, of the prophecy. Now, I'm not sure how old this couple was, but they were advanced in years. 
they were pretty old. Uh, they could have been my age. I, I don't know. that They could have been like, like Mrs., Mrs. Ray and, and, uh, and me. Maybe they were in their 60s. On Thanksgiving Day, uh, Jan had uh, a birthday. She's in her 60s. I will not tell you the second digit of her 60s, although it really doesn't matter, but she's in her 60s. She's been in her 60s for three years now. (laughs) Four if you count when she first rolled into the 60s. Maybe they were in their 60s. I don't know. They could have been in their 70s. Not many 70-year-olds are having children. Uh, The last uh, older couple that I've known to have children uh, was uh, Mike and Marcia Posey. And uh, that's the last older couple that I've known to have children. I don't think they're here. I don't see them here. Um, Maybe they're in their 80s or older. We do know this. They were past childbearing years. And maybe that was the miracle. That was the miracle, excuse me. And God was also about to show the first and only virgin birth. So giving a child to an old couple like this, we used to say, that ain't no step for a stepper. That really wasn't that much. It was, it was much, but not to God. And the angel not only told of the birth of the child, but he gave the child's name. He said, this child's going to be called John. Now, the name John means Jehovah has been gracious. Brother Bembry, you need to remind your wife of that once in a while. She gives you a hard time. You need to say, wait a minute. Jehovah has been gracious. See how that works out for you. John means Jehovah has been gracious. And to that end, the angel goes on to tell Zechariah of the calling that would be on John's life. This bold prophecy was of a blessed prophet. Verse 15, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord, a people prepared. Now we see how the birth of John fits the story of the Christmas miracle. John is going to precede Jesus in birth. And the reason he's going to precede him in birth is because he's going to precede him in ministry. He would go before Jesus with a very special message that there is one coming after me. And the one coming after him indeed would be Jesus. 
And we know that John the Baptist would go on and he would baptize Jesus one of the, and, he, and be one of the greatest prophet preachers of all time. And all of this was foretold and predetermined before the birth announcement went out, even before the child was conceived. God had a plan for a child that had not even yet been conceived. Today we have reveal parties. Couples do. Telling what gender the child is going to be. I, I went to Jeff and Chelsea Williams' reveal party when they revealed that they were going to have a, a baby girl. And indeed, they did have a baby girl last Sunday. And her name is Lily Jane. They had a baby girl named Lily Jane. We went to that reveal party. And they had all of their friends and they gathered in the backyard and they had cans of silly string. And they had the silly string covered so you couldn't see what color the silly string was. And then at a certain time, everybody was supposed to <laughs> shoot silly string all over the couple. And when it came out, it was pink. And that was the big reveal that the baby was going to be born. And that day we learned that her name would be Lily Jane. And indeed, they have a beautiful baby girl now. Her name is Lily Jane. Paul and Lindsay, when they found out they were going to have a, a baby girl, in fact, it's kind of an interesting thing. They got a little early reveal. And this week they go back for another confirmation and I said to them, what if you find out that it's a boy? Well, they're going to have to change their reveal. They did a reveal on Facebook. And uh, it was a cute reveal and, and all that kind of thing. And said, it's a girl. That's kind of a, a trend today to have reveal parties. And I, I think it's a nice trend. I, I kind of like it. Well, I want to tell you something. The first reveal party, I guess at least the first one in, that has something to do with the New Testament, was this reveal party for John the Baptist. And to Zechariah, it was revealed that they were going to have a boy. Not only did Zechariah know the gender of the child, but he knew the child's name, and he knew the child's calling, and he knew the child's place in the kingdom. You talk about casting a vision for an unborn child. Revealed by his parents and by God, when John grew up, he knew what his calling would be. Here's what he said in verse 23. I am the voice of one crying, uh, John 1, 23. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Let me just pull over and say this to all parents. One of the considerations of parents is the vision that we cast for our children. We should cast a vision for our children. There's a song that says, as the twig is bent, so the, the tree will grow. And the vision that you cast for your children will have a lot to do with how your children turn out. Now, they'll take their own path, and they'll become their own people. But the reality is that 
you will have a lot to do with the direction that they, they take. And it will be hard for them not to take the direction that you set for them. You say, well, how can I be sure of the direction that I set for my child? Well, the Bible says train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Here's what that means. That means who you are is likely to be who they become. There's some room for variation. But the reality is that there will be times that you can say, I taught you better than this, when in fact you trained them in a way that may be contrary to the way that they were taught. I guess if we want our children to be good people, we have to be good people. I guess if we want our children to have biblical values, we have to have biblical values. I guess if we want our children to honor uh, the, the, our, the boys and, and, and uh, our uh, families to honor girls, we should honor women and back and forth. It's important to cast a vision. We tell our children, you can be anything that you want to be, but if we ourselves limit us, ourselves as to who we can be, then they catch that from us because more is caught than taught. The advantage that Zacharias and Zechariah and Elizabeth had is that they already had a vision of who their child could be. They had already cast a vision. Uh, for the, A vision had already been cast for the child. And just as we want our children to seek and do God's will, we must direct them to follow God's leadership. <laughs> and that begins as we seek and follow God's leadership. So we've seen now the miracle, the people of the miracle, the plan of the miracle, the proclaiming of the miracle. <clears throat> Let's go to the perception of the miracle. How did Zechariah take all of this? You remember that uh, <clears throat> I used to go to a print shop. You know, print shops are almost, they're getting kind of extinct. But I used to go to a print shop, and, and they had these little characters laughing, and they were throwed back laughing and bent over laughing, and there were several of them laughing. And the, <laughs> the, uh, the caption says, you want it when? And they were just laughing because everybody comes in there wanting stuff yesterday. I think that would be a good caption for the response of Zechariah to what the angel said because he certainly uh, met the news with hesitation. Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. I used to have a relative 
who would lose her voice every time she got around our, she was an in-law. <clears throat> she would lose her voice every time she got around our family. Literally. Literally, every time. It was selective laryngitis. I'm telling you, it's the absolute truth. It was, the, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. You could almost go, and she's off. And, I, you know, I, I think that she did that because she didn't want to interact with us. And I think she didn't want to interact with us because she couldn't keep up. Sorry. I mean, that's just, you know, it's just the truth. I say it in love, but it is the truth. Well, that's kind of what happened to Zechariah here. You know what? That's it. You're not going to believe? You know, Zechariah could have, he could have had nine months of telling people what was going to happen. But instead, he had nine months of silence. Couldn't speak. Couldn't say a word. And, and we find out who the angel is. The angel is Gabriel. You know, there's, I don't even know how many angels there are mentioned in the Bible. But you know, there are only two that are mentioned by name, Michael and Gabriel. And one of the two named angels shows up to talk to Zechariah. And, and when he hesitated, Gabriel uh, not only confirmed who he was, <clears throat> but he, <clears throat> he sealed the lips of Zechariah. That, that to me, that you know what I think of when, when uh, I see this illustration right here, what happened here? I think of the verse that says, be still and know that I'm God. There are a lot of times when, when we could benefit more and get more information and more insight and, and on and on it goes, if we just be still and let God speak to us. So at first there was hesitation. Then after that, there was observation. Verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. <clears throat> I'm not going to speculate what the signs were, but can you imagine him trying to communicate to them <clears throat> what had happened? I mean, you ever played charades? Uh, <clears throat> how do you do that? How do you, how do you let people know that you just saw Gabriel? You just had a conversation with Gabriel. And that your wife, who's umpteen years old, is going to have a baby. How do you, I mean, how do you communicate that kind of thing? This exchange between Gabriel and Zechariah took some time, and, and the people just noticed and they, they really weren't sure what had gone on, but they knew that he had been with God. I, I, I want to make this little observation. It's a good thing when people notice that you've been with God. You ever have people notice that you're not feeling well? Are you feeling well? No, not really. Well, you don't, your eyes look tired. You really, you look a little flush. You, you don't look like you feel very good. Tell you what's a great thing is when they notice that you've been with the Lord. 
You've been with the Lord. You look like you've been with the Lord. You look like you're happy. You look like something good has gone on in your life. These people made an observation. The observation was that Zechariah, who went in there by, by lottery, they thought, came out and evidently he'd had a divine appointment while he was in there. Then came the confirmation. Verse 23, and when this time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the the day when he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. Sure enough, just as Gabriel had said, John was John the Baptist was on the way. The scene is set for the greatest miracle um, to that point, and that is that the virgin birth of Jesus Christ was about to take place, and here was a miraculous conception that was going to usher in the immaculate conception. The greatest miracle ever known I think aside from the resurrection and I think they're equal miracles is the virgin birth and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ and there is the the confirmation next week we are going to see the visit of Gabriel to Mary but I want to read ahead just a little bit about a visit that Mary's going to make to Elizabeth and this really ushers in the Christmas story understand that we're going we're gonna to take a flashback next week, but now Mary has indeed conceived the infant Jesus. He wasn't an unnamed fetus. He was a holy child. Neither was Elizabeth carrying an unnamed fetus. She was carrying the child, John, a child with a future. And their lives the lives of these children were in the hands of God as the lives of all children should be in the hands of God. And there was a visit from Mary to Elizabeth that resulted in what could only be described as jubilation. Verse 39 of Luke 1. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she exclaimed with a, a loud cry. And by the way, let me just stop. Remember that Gabriel promised that the child John would be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so, the blessing of the Christmas miracle begins. 
The story for 2013 is the same story that it's been for thousands of years. It's just as great as it's always been. I told you about the lady that I asked her if she was going to come to our passion play around Easter time, and she said, well, I came two years in a row, and it was the same. Are y'all going to change it? No, we're not going to change it. You don't change these stories. You rejoice in these stories. You believe these stories. You live by these stories. You're born again by belief that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried and he rose again the third day, that we might be forgiven of sin. The beginning of the miracle. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. You can visit us at North Florida Baptist Church, 3000 North Meridian Road, Tallahassee, Florida, 32312. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week